0: Welcome to episode two of Geos Reviews, the interview podcast. This episode was an interview conducted with Jed McKay, the writer of the current Moon Knight and Strange Runs, and also the writer of the Timeless One-Shot, among other various one-shots and series within the past few years for Marvel Comics. I really hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you. All right, so first question, can you talk about what it was like, how you started off writing Moon Knight? Process behind that and just sure, yeah, go into that as much as Uh,
1: yeah, so would have been, I think, around the October before last. Uh, I got an email from Tom Brevoort, uh, who I'd worked with before on uh, Avengers Next Strike, and he said, uh, you know, basically putting together a Moon Knight series. Uh, you know, obviously, because there's a TV show coming, and if there's a TV show or movie coming, you always have a series, yeah, with that character's name on it. because... That's how it works. Uh, anyways, they weren't exactly sure how, what they wanted the Moon Knight series to look like, and as such, you know, usually they know what they would want. They'd reach out to a particular, you know, creator, creative team, and say, "What well, you got?" In this case, uh, they didn't have that cl- uh, close an idea, so they reached out to a bunch of different people, and my, you know, I was, I was one of them. So I was, you know, I was really excited about it because you know, you don't get there's not that many chances to write a Moon Knight book um they uh they come kind of you know few and far between so I immediately started putting my ideas together and to figure out what I wanted to do with the book how I wanted it to look how I wanted it to work and um you know that was kind of the start of it I, I frantically scribbled my ideas down mm-hmm. and set it off within like a week and then immediately like, as soon as I set it off I was like well what about this actually and also we could put this in and also this thing so it, it was really being very obnoxious um yeah after a bit of back and forth we kind of refined the ideas how we're going to do it and uh that's where we went from from there
0: yeah because the hardest thing about moon Moonlight is there's so many different runs with so many different styles and ideas and a lot of them are very i guess to say controversial like the runs before yours you no know, the bendis the and the jason aaron event the moon knight event was I'll say controversial to the fan base. So I imagine it was a bit difficult, you know, and I'd have to say you did an amazing job sort of making all that, incorporating all that in the character and having it affect him in such a way.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is he's, Luna has a character that's had wildly different iterations over the years. Like he's got a publication history that stretches, you know, pretty far back. So he has a good, excuse me, a good pedigree. But at the same time, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a character who's more constantly reinvented than Moon Knight. Yeah. Um, you know, where he is now is very different from where he started, let alone at any other point through his publication history. Uh, and, and, you know, and that's not me saying, like, oh, we've reinvented him for a whole new thing in our thing. But every time a series comes up, he's got a whole new kind of angle. He's got a whole new gig. And sometimes even within the same series. Oh, yeah. So with... Sorry, go on. Yeah, so for when we started working on this, I had my ideas, I sent it to Tom, uh, Tom, sort of refined my ideas, Got you know, Alessandro got in and the way Alessandro worked, uh, obviously influenced the way this story was going to work because, you know, once I got to know Alessandro's style and, you know, what he's, what he sells at, what he specializes in, then I'm able to, you know, work within those Kind of things you know set set this up for success so i could you know write the things that he really likes to draw is really good at drawing um so i mean that was all the process but the idea i wanted to do was you know try and take things that are useful from every iteration of Moon night that came before uh, i don't want to you know we we really sold this as a, a new start but it's also it's a new start that still acknowledges what came before because this new start itself spins out of age of Konchu which, you know, controversial or not, was the perfect springboard for a new Moon Knight series.
0: Oh, yeah, because it's sort of like a clean reset. All Between that and the mirror run, sort of all his allies are gone. All his family is, like, left him. So clean slate.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're coming in on Moon Knight when he's alienated himself from the entire world. Uh, you know, he's... The Avengers are not his friends anymore. Not that they were a whole we great just- deal. Yeah, in the, in the first place, you know, he's... He's stormed out of the Avengers more than once, but at the same time, here we have you know a very fresh kind of hurt. Uh, it's it's a way to illustrate a separation between his more traditional supporting cast and you know him having to, you know to start from the ground up.
0: Yeah. Now you mentioned the Moon Knight show. Have you been watching it, enjoying it? You know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: No, it's been fun. I've been uh, enjoying watching it. Uh, I think it's really interesting that. Um, it's not what everyone would expect from a Moon Knight show where, you know, we're all Moon Knight fans. We've read a lot of Moon Knight books and we have certain expectations when it comes to a Moon Knight show or, you know, Moon Knight story, uh, you know, and right from the beginning, those expectations are subverted. When you see, you know, Stephen Grant as a, a nebbish sort of, you know, shop, shopkeeper in a museum in England, you know, this sort of Dickensian accent like right off the bat we're put on the back foot which I think it's a really interesting way to do it because again Moon Knight's often a character that's very much about alienation and already the viewer is alienated from what they expect in the story so I think it's a, it's a clever way to go about it
0: yeah could you expect be like okay Mark Spector that's the main personality we're going to see him for the most part of the show and yeah. just like he gets a little cameo at the end and then beats the crap out of the
1: the yeah exactly but at the you know it's at the same time we get the suit in the first episode oh yeah which i think that has that also a certain subversion of expectations uh given that you know we know how a lot of these movies and shows go you don't see the suit till the end and having that again put right out there is uh you know it's 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 fun it's, it's not what you necessarily expect so it's nice to be surprised
0: yeah with all the shows and stuff typically it's like the final episode we get the comic accurate suit just like then yeah. the first trope shows like here's moon knight here's mr knight there you go D- n- nothing to wait for now
1: well and that's the thing it's it's by giving that giving us that kind of stuff right off then you've cleared the decks and now we can see what else it's, it's not just waiting for them to say the thing or waiting for the you know, him to wear the thing and say that's been taken care of and now you can get on with your actual stuff yeah so this run has become
0: a bit known for using D-list villains, such as Waxman, The Bird, Winner, Eight Ball, Zodiac, Jigsaw. So what is it that you like about D-list villains and what they can bring to a story?
1: Um, I mean, I've said this before, and that part of kind of like the, 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 the real like storyteller, narrativist way, uh, thing I like about it is by taking these old characters and kind of dusting them off and finding something new for them to do, it gives a a lived-in feel to the universe, as if to say, you know, you haven't seen these characters for a while, but they're still there. And, you know, things are still happening, even if they're not on the screen. So, digging them up and bringing them back is, you know, paying paying homage or, you know, paying tribute to this this history of the Marvel Universe, the shared history between a lot of different characters. Um, The more practical answer is that, A, with the more obscure the characters the less likely anybody else is using it in their stories. So I don't have to like clear that. And, you know, someone like Zodiac, for instance, he's appeared in five issues before he turned up in Moon Knight. He's appeared, I think he's appeared in more Moon Knight issues than any other, than like possibly even his own series at this point. Um, So you take a character who's appeared in five issues and you can become an expert on them in a half hour. So it's very easy. (laughs)
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, eight balls, now you're, like, punching bag and stuff. Anytime you need, like, a person to get punched, just, like, just put eight balls somewhere. He'll just get decimated.
1: Yeah. I mean, he's, eight, eight balls there to be victimized. And uh, that's kind of being extended into an in almost a cartoon uh, capacity at this point.
0: Yeah, it's just, you know, really hilarious. But, um, so, Zodiac. Can you talk about, like, how you decide Zodiac would be the big overarching bad guy for this first run, first 12 issues?
1: Yeah, so that, that kind of came about because I, like, I bought the Zodiac miniseries when it was coming out, uh, I mean, whenever it was coming out. I don't remember the year. Um, because, you know, I really liked it. Really, I thought the art was great and the character looked really cool. It's a great name. And, you know, can't stress enough, it, it was a great title you know, header treatment design on the book. And I was like, okay, well, I'll take a look at that. And I thought Zodiac was a cool character. Um, you know, he looked cool. And he had kind of an angle that you don't really see in a lot of Marvel heroes, or sorry, Marvel villains. And it was actually when I was wrote my first outline for Moon Knight for those first five issues, a Zodiac wasn't the villain. It was only after the second revision that I'm like, wait, actually, Zodiac is the perfect villain for this because you, know, you have the... Mark Spector is the man who's desperately looking for something to believe in, versus Zodiac, the guy who doesn't believe in anything. And you know, they, they have very similar looks, but also wildly uh, different outlooks. And I just thought it'd be a really interesting foil for Mark. And that's I, was
0: like, and,
1: oh. I would say, and they, that's just kind of where it came from. They're I think they're very similar in their methods, and they're very similar in the kind of the level they work at. Um, like you know, you're not going to have Mark fight Galactus. Uh, but also in the same respect, you're going to have eight ball turn up as the current villain for 12 issues <laughs> without, uh, you know, poss- possibly going to intensive care, or being in traction for a significant portion of that.
0: Yeah. And it, it's interesting, you know, at the end of, I think it was, no, actually the beginning of issue six, it like, I don't want to hurt you. I want to help you. And it's just like, no. it's his twisted mind of how he's helping him. He's helping him by sort of destroying everyone around him.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. Zodiac has a very specific, he has some very specific interests in Moon Knight and what Moon Knight has the possibility to become. And he thinks that, you know, he, he said it before, he thinks what, what Moon Knight is doing now is misguided. And he thinks that, you know, as he says to Dr. Sturman at the end of issue uh, seven, yeah, I think it's issue seven, um, you know, how are we going how am I getting get him on the right, on the back on the right track?
0: Oh, yeah, when he just has that severed head of the clown guy. Yeah, uh,
1: no, R.I.P. Dr. clown.
0: Dr. Sternman. Poor Dr. Sternman. I have to admit, I, I really do love her as a psychologist. You write it's. I think it's always hard writing doctors in comics or books or anything because we don't have a psychology degree. We don't have a no. doctorate degree. So it's incredibly difficult and tricky, and I think you've done a wonderful job writing her. Oh,
1: thank you. I mean, part of it, too, is that we're not getting into anything that's too terribly deep with her like getting dealing with too many actual you know real life psychological theories a lot of it's just kind of like um i mean again a lot of her function is to be there because we don't see mark's thought captions and he's got to get his thoughts out to somebody and having the having those therapy sessions with dr sterman is a great device for doing that for, for getting see kind of the internality of him uh or his internal life while also, you know, it's, it's great characterization to see Moon Knight, a character who's often been defined by, I don't want to say defined by his mental health, but defined by other people's perceptions of his mental health, both in-universe and in our, our world, yeah. uh, and, you know, having him in treatment, which I think is something a lot more superheroes could probably do. Yeah, I'm kind of shocked that like Spider-Man doesn't have a psychologist. He just gets,
0: gets beat up bloody every weekends, like, yep, this but, is
1: okay. I mean, he doesn't have insurance,
0: so that's true. <laughs> you think someone would give him insurance, but at this point, it's like, nope. But that's actually a great segue to my next question, and that it has to do with how you write like the nuance of the DID with Mark, you know, Mark, Moon Knight, Mr. Knight, and something we haven't seen yet is the appearance of Jake or Steven. And I was wondering, is that a part of the character you hope to explore eventually? I'm not sure if you can necessarily say that yeah. because of spoilers, but-
1: No, no. Uh, yeah, like we've, I mean, I, you know, I've said it before and I've said it from the get- we've, we've done very little in exploring his DID at this point in time. Um, I know there's a lot of speculation that Moon Knight, Mark Spector, and Mister Knight are all separate, uh, you know, alters within the system. That's not the case. It's we've been seeing Mark Spector as Moon Knight or Mark Spector as Mister Knight. Um, the costumes aren't part of his his DID, instead it's the actual identities. You got Mark Spector, Jake Lockley, and Stephen Grant. Um, so, yeah, it is something we'll be exploring in the future. It's uh, there's a couple of reasons to kind of put it push it forward. And the the first is that uh, so many Moon Knight stories are solely stories about DID. And while that is interesting, it's also kind of something we've been doing over and over again for, you know, diminishing returns to focus an entire arc or an entire series on it. Um, And I mean, honestly, I'm not going to do a better DID story than Jeff Lemire. is. you know, his his whole coming to grips thing, uh, his whole new Egypt stuff was, I mean, I, I, I'm great. not. I'm not. I, that's, I'm not going to write a more emotionally satisfying story than Jeff the Mayor. Like that's just, That's his whole thing. Like it's. I'm, I'm aware of my limitations. Uh, you know. I also can't shoot. You know. Three pointers either. But. Uh, um. And so you know, to that effect, for this first you know megar, this first twelve issues, we've been focusing mostly on the Midnight Mission. We're focusing on this newer uh, supporting cast. we focusing on his. Whole thing with Zodiac is his um, therapy sessions. That said, it's not something that we've dispensed with entirely. It's not been brushed under the rug. It's it's you know, marks DID is something that's important to you know a lot of people. You know, especially people who are fans of the character, fans of the book, who have who have DID or live as part of of DID systems. So that is something that we're approaching in the future, and also now that I feel better prepared to you know to speak on it. I've been doing, you know, talking to, uh, you know, people who do have DID and or they live as part of DID systems and getting a better sense of how that is for a person and how to portray that in a character in a way that is hopefully more sensitive than previous portrayals in any media have been, you know, because, you know, DID is something that's been really dreadfully stigmatized in all media forever. So, it's kind of a combination of wanting the series to get footing on its own before delving into it, and also being prepared to to get into it in a way that is, you know, useful and interesting for the story, but also, you know, sensitively portrayed and not, and not offensive to people uh, who you know, live with this condition. Yeah, and I suppose it's been foretold
0: in issue four because Mark mentions that when he doesn't wear the mask, you know, I'm sure part of it is just in a I guess, metaphysical sense that he doesn't feel like he's Mark Spectre when he doesn't wear the mask.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's that's that's it's a mental health issue in that Mark is incredibly depressed, uh, not that he has DID. Uh, you know, we're dealing with someone who is very feels feels a lot of guilt for his past actions, but also is incapable of stopping himself from committing further brutalities. Uh, so that's kind of he's talking about the mask as. Uh, you know, a sense of distance between himself and the people in his life in the same way that, you know, we don't see Mark without his mask on until issue four. Uh, yeah. The whole time he's got one mask or another is, you know, he's Mr. Knight when he's talking to people, he's Moon Knight when he's on the streets breaking heads.
0: Yeah, it's almost like in a way like Batman, which one is his true identity, Bruce Wayne or Batman with Mark Specter, is sort of like his true identity is sort of Moon Knight, at least at this point, that's how he sort of identifies
1: yeah. And I mean, it's, it's e- The thing is, it's not like, Oh, I, I'm, you know, I'm really moon night inside that kind of thing. It's Mark expected It's the mask. It's more in the situation that it's easy for him to become a symbol than it is to come to grips with his, you know, his own humanity and his own actions. Yeah. So, you know, a, a symbol doesn't hurt. A symbol doesn't feel regret. A symbol doesn't feel guilt. Whereas a person does, you know, he doesn't, When he's wearing wearing the Mr. Night mask, when he's wearing the Moon Night mask, he doesn't have a face. It's just two eyes and a moon. Yeah. It's, you know.
0: Anyway, so Dr. Badir, AKA Hunter's Moon, it was, I would say it was incredibly creative with the two fist metaphor. Not all, that's an often you often see, you know, watching a god have a a right fist, you know, a left fist and a right fist. That was, yeah. um, That was quite funny when I saw that because you don't often see that in stories, just sort of that one person is that god's will that god's fist yeah but um uh he's gone from finding mark blasphemous at first and wanting to kill vampires and he's sort of been on his own journey his own arc that we see especially in issue six when he says explains you know his story so can you talk about creating dr badir and how you know he's a very compelling character in a way because Mm
1: -hmm. especially due to how he changes and shifts throughout the story yeah so there was actually an interesting thing with hunter's moon in that uh originally when i pitched this series uh i wanted to go not just you know one other fist of conchu but there was going to be a whole bunch uh, i want to go like full you know league of Batman kind of thing where there's going to be like a fist of conchu from a fist of conju from all over the world um and you know because I, mean, I like making up new characters i thought it would be a lot of fun um but you know tom tom brevoort very wisely put his foot down and he's like no that's like this is this is like really diluting the brand you're spreading it too thin it's like however if you told me that there was one other fist of conchu you know the the old testament to mark's new testament or like you know the orthodox to mark schismatic or his, his apostasy then that's interesting i'm like well yeah actually you're totally right because as soon as he said that that line of you know even a man has two fists why should a god why should you think a god would limit himself to only one popped into my head I'm like well that's perfect so that was real tom breport save uh on that one um yeah, like, you know, batter was really interesting because we see Mark making a change and, you know, breaking with his past uh, and, you know, breaking with Conchu as we see at the end of uh, Age of Kanchu, and, you know, striking out on his own and taking on Conchu's mission as his own. It's, I thought it was interesting to look at a character who was, you know, more orthodox or, you know, more, more orthoprax in their uh, yeah in, in their faith and their worship, in their you know, in their, just in their practice. And I started thinking, what, what would that look like? Why would that be? Um, what sort of contrasts and mirrors can you make with Mark Spector? And you know, it kind of came together easily after that. You know, obviously, I wanted this character to be Egyptian because you know it would make sense. The Fist of Khonshu it was Egyptian, you know, and and you know, Vata himself comes from you know Luxor, where the the greatest temple of Khonshu is, and. Um, yeah, it just kind of kind of came together as your classic, you know, not a villain, but certainly someone with an opposing viewpoint and someone who is growing and learning. You know, he's still not Mark's best friend, but, you know, as he says at the end of, I think, issue six, you know, I don't, I mean, I like you, I mean, I respect you, but we have the same father, which means that we're brothers, and you don't always get along with your family, but to batter that is something that's important. You know, they are, they're colleagues, they're... They're, they're the only two fists of Kanchu in the world and that's, that's, that's a bond that whether or not they like each other exists
0: yeah and I just want to see an alternate reality like miniseries like a whole League of Khonshu type deal that would just be like hilarious like what they're doing with like uh, I think it's not Gwenpool but like they're doing the whole miniseries where it's like yeah Wolverine Gwen, yeah, Spider-Man, Gwen um, that would the, be
1: great for Moon Knight the, uh, the Gweniverse
0: yeah, just doing a whole League of Moon Knight. That'd be absolutely hilarious, I think.
1: I mean, they did do that. Um, it was uh, a Moon Knight Annual, I think Colin Bunn wrote. Um, there was we a bunch of Moon Knights from throughout history all kind of teamed up to fight Kang. Oh,
0: yeah. And I, there was also, I don't know if that was a new character part of that miniseries, because it has to do with Kang, and think.
1: But also in the Kang
0: miniseries, there was a Vona Renslayer Moon Knight mm-hmm. as well in yeah. the past.
1: Yeah, yeah, I saw that because um, that 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 Kang series is coming out when I was writing um, Timeless, and I was like, oh, okay, they got a Moon Knight there too." I mean, that's it's it's a good time for Moon Knights, I guess. Yeah, I mean,
0: it's because it's been we yeah, have just being a Moon Knight fan now it's fantastic. Between the show, your amazing run, which I'd say will probably go down as one of the top three runs if I had to guess, because it's just it's amazing so. <laughs> and. Every issue I find has a moment, not where it hurts you with fists, like Mark's, you know, beating someone up, but it has just Mark monologuing, just something that hits you right in the feels.
1: Yeah, I hope, well, that's what we try to do because I think there's a lot of really great emotional stuff with Mark, given his history, given you know the the sort of intersectional identities involved in his character, um, and you know the, the 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 way other characters interacted with him in the past. It's just it's a really rich kind of field and it's it's a lot of fun to get into it and then of course there's all just like the punching and the kicking and throwing people off buildings which is also a lot of fun or you know putting people on concrete with wax sure yeah mm-hmm. and you know when I, I i stand by it i think that was a good move um but yeah and then you know, on top of that you know next month we've got uh, moon Knight, black white and blood yeah and to be fair he was a serial killing and stuff which it's
0: one thing I love about your run is how you plant seeds. In issue seven, Mark mentions the serial killer. Then in issue eight, there's there's changes with Doctor Sternman, like she no. things that Mark doesn't expect. And then in issue number nine, no, sorry, I'm I'm really confused. Yeah, issue it, ten it, is where Mark's yeah. like, you're not Doctor Sternman. What have you done with her? And then you know, be free to send.
1: Yeah, that's that's you know. We're trying to set things up. And, you know, I was quite lucky in that, you know, usually with an ongoing series, you're not planning much further than issue five because it's very difficult for a lot of ongoing series to get past issue five. Just, you know, it's the reality of the business. With Moon, they had a little more confidence, just I think a lot of it to do with people being very excited for the show. So I was given, you know, free reign to plan out till issue 12. So it's a lot easier to lay those seeds for things coming down further on the line we know those issues are actually gonna come out. Uh, whereas if you, don't ha- if you don't have that runway, you don't wanna waste your pages, planting seeds for things that may not actually happen. So uh, it, was, it was a real luxury to build a plan through issue 12 and you know now beyond we've extended past there um, in order to set those things up so we can pay them off in a uh, uh, hopefully satisfying way.
0: Yeah, I think when it came out in July, I think Moon Knight was one of the top-selling comics that month. Probably, I think it was in the top five or top mm. four, or something like that.
1: Yeah, like, they like Moon Knight number one did. I think about a quarter million copies. Really? That's that's insane. I think so, or maybe 225. I don't remember. Still, that uh, it, number is insane. When you it was it, it was quite good. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of hype around it, and um, you know, a lot of variant covers. People love that. Uh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm guilty. As as, I bought like. Think
0: eight variant covers or something
1: like that. <laughs> Case in point, but yeah, it, it's and this continues to do fairly well. I think not all, but most of almost almost all the issues I think have gone on a second printing. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard for me to track down that information sometimes because uh, websites are notoriously difficult to uh, find the right information when it comes to second printings of books. But yeah, ultimately. As long as it just keeps selling well, then I can keep writing it, and Alessandro can keep drawing it, and Michelle can keep coloring it, and Corey can keep lettering it. So, but uh, <laughs> well, that's 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 my main concern is that it just it keeps going.
0: Yeah, I gotta say I love the Moon Knight issue six second printing. You know, because I'm a huge fan of teal, but it's also like Moon Knight just drops down and lands. That's such an oh yeah, panel.
1: yeah. That's it was <laughs> it was funny because I, I I sketched it and how I wanted it to look and. Um, is it in this one hang on a sec and i sent that to alessandro i'm like here's a really bad drawing of what i'm thinking this should look like and i he turned to the art i'm like yep there it is oh yeah there we go so yeah that was the that was my sketch for the page there i guess
0: it no offense to your drawing but it's quite funny looking at that and then seeing the panel it's just like oh
1: i know <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, and that's that's the thing like i know it's not I know it's going to look much better than that, but it's it's oh, yeah. just getting the, the the basic idea across. I'm like this will be all be the same image, and we'll go transition from the table to falling to landing. Um, yeah, it was great. Like he did such a good job with that page.
0: Yeah, I think um, Alessandro's art is like really like Moon Knight shaped. It's like if you could find a perfect artist to put to Moon Knight, it's him. Like before, there I'd probably say it was Declan Shaeley because his run on the Ellis run with mm-hmm. Moon, that was fantastic and how he did Moon, uh, Mr. Knight and everything like that and the dream sequence in issue number four was fantastic but then I think this has to become like the new Moon Knight art because it's sort of it's dark and it's not super refined but it's still detailed enough which is sort of like Moon Knight in a way.
1: Yeah and I mean the thing is you know, Alessandro is a young artist. This is his first ongoing book, as far as I know. It's certainly his first ongoing Mar- Marvel or DC book. Um, and Cause like when he, when he, Tom told me he was gonna be on the book, I was, you know, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll see what this guy's got, like what his work looks like. And I couldn't find a whole lot, but he's someone who really understands what a Moon Knight book needs. And that first and foremost, if you've got a Moon Knight book, Moon Knight has to look cooler than everything else in it. And, you know, that's the thing, like every time Moon Knight appears in a panel that Alessandro draws, he draws all the focus onto him because it's, he does such a cool Moon Knight. You know, he's got that black, white, gleam contrast going on, then Rochelle glows it out with uh, the kind of blues, and the whites. And it's just like, it works so well because he just, he draws Moon Knight so well. And that's what's most important for a Moon Knight series is that Moon Knight, Moon Knight looks awesome and exciting and you know some of that he did the design for hunter's moon which was awesome where you got your notes of moon Knight, you get your touch of the uh, fist of fist of khonshu, moon night outfit with the gold accents but it all comes together in a way that is reminiscent of moon Knight, and you, you can tell that he's a fist of khonshu but it's not entirely derivative
0: yeah and actually michelle she needs to win like an award for the colors that she with done this oh so so good it's <laughs> glorious what she's done especially like the teal glow around Moonlight and the contrast, you know, between scenes, like you have the, the end of issue one, the park, you know, you have the, the glow from the park
1: benches, moon Knight's own glow, yet there's darkness
0: because yeah. it's nighttime.
1: Oh yeah. And that's, that's, it was quite funny when I think Tom sent Rochelle coloring notes the first time. He's like, yeah, I basically every scene in this book takes place at night. And I was like, oh yeah, it does, doesn't it? I think I wrote the first daytime scene for like issue 13, I think. All right. already seen him like, no, this is actually in daytime. I know. Because it's like a creep, you know, It's a creature at the night. He's moon night. He's yeah, exactly. He's darkness. not yeah, it's also he would look really dumb and like walking through a park in the middle of the day in that outfit. But at night he looks yeah. awesome. Like cool, you see the glow, they
0: see him walking, just like, what's he doing? What's why is this dude wearing wannabe cosplay
1: walking through New York? Yeah, you know, walking through Central Park. What's what's with the sky? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's meant to work within a certain environment.
0: Yeah. So, um, next question would be, in issue number five, there was a particular scene that I really enjoyed as a Jewish person. It has to do sure. with um, Moon Knight and his faith and the contrast of his race. And if it's all right with you, I'd like to sort of read that panel off, if it's all right with you. Yeah, sure. So, let me just pull it up from my, here. So... Here we are, and it has to, the setting is, for people listening, has to do with Dr. Sturman and Moon Knight in, you know, therapy right now. And he's like, Moon he like, of course, there's being raised Jewish and he's being raised by a rabbi. My father was the kindest, gentlest man I've ever known, but there was never anything kind or gentle in me. He was a man of peace. He hated violence. And I thought that made him weak, a weak man serving an indifferent God. And it basically goes on and on and on. And on, and on. He talks about his Jewishness and how, in a way, that makes him a hypocrite because the Egyptian people sort of enslaved the Jews, and now he serves an Egyptian god. Yeah. And by the end of it, he's like, no wonder I developed DID because I'd rather be anyone else other than that guy. And yeah. that's just like, I think that probably has to go down as one of the most powerful Moon Knight panels of all time, if not the most oh, powerful Moon Knight panel of all time.
1: Yeah, that, um, because I, I you know, I I wanted to address that contrast because when I was going through Moon Knight and like figuring out what I wanted to do with the character, those two poles of his character, you know, obviously his Judaism is uh, or you know his Jewish identity is it's I think it's an integral part of the character. It's not something that could be taken away from. Him. Um but on the other hand, this fact that he serves, or at the very least, you know, works for or is indebted to Kanshu, uh, whose epithet is the great greatest of, of the great gods you know, who are, you know, the gods of Egypt. There's, you know, a real kind of disconnect there. There's they're really, these are two identities that are wildly at loggerheads. And I thought it'd be really fascinating to try and address that. And sort of, and that's, you know, foreshadowed from the first issue where, um, you know, sturmer brings that up. It's like, you know, you, you serve an Egyptian god, but aren't you Jewish? She's like, well, I'm and, you know, contradiction is nothing new for me. You know, my father was a rabbi, I was a war criminal. And that is in part him kind of, Kind of you know being blasé and like deflecting when he's talking to Sturman which you know Dr. Sturman calls calls him out on that and in the, in the issue you're talking about issue number five but I thought it'd be really interesting to look at that because again a lot of this a lot of his character comes from this turmoil this idea of of guilt um of you know making the wrong choices uh, be it the you know the choice to carve a moon into somebody's head or the choice to you know to to accept the offer of uh, an Egyptian god to, to save your life and then act as as their uh, their instrument of violence in the night.
0: Yeah, because he goes, if I'm not the fist of Khonshu, whatever I choose to understand that as, then I'm yeah. just Mark Spector, the man who makes the wrong choice every time, the man who threw his religion, his heritage killed what family he didn't bury, the man who brought harm and trauma to everyone, whoever cared about him, the man who can't breathe in the guilt closing over his head, thick as seawater and twice as bitter. Yeah. it's just like
1: wow yeah and so like you know we're really really twisting the knife here for old Mark, but uh i you know i thought it was a really interesting idea you know going back to his old appearances where you know his his father back in the, the mensch run was um you know shown to be a real you no know, he's a real pacifist guy that the really iconic scene where mark's in a boxing ring and his father goes in the ring tells him this, you know tries to get him to stop fighting and that's just it's a really just a real nightmare situation for everybody, and this idea that violence is something that was—I don't know if I say ingrained in Mark from an early age, but it's just—it's something that's always been a part of him. You know, when he says uh, "there's not," "there's never been anything kind or gentle in me," he's not—he's not joking, not trying to big himself up. Um, you know, a big part of the character of Moon is this—you know—addiction to violence, this compulsion towards violence that he doesn't he rarely has a great handle on you know it's it's like any other story of addiction where you know, if you're addicted to something it's all you can think about uh when, when you know when you don't get it and then when you do indulge yourself you don't feel about it you just feel like shit because you you broke and this yeah. you know perpetuating cycle of wanting something and getting it and then feeling even worse about it so yeah i was and then you know once once i wrote that uh, issue I was like, well, I gotta make sure that this is right because I am not myself Jewish. And the last thing I need is just some like, you know, smart-ass goy out here saying, let me tell you how Jewish people think. So, uh, you know, I talked to my friends, Alex Paktadil and Rich Duick, who are both uh, Jewish comic book writers. And they gave my script to read, they gave me some pointers and things to fix and and, switch around to make sure, just a little more on point and a little more authentic and accurate. So I was very, you know, very grateful to them for their help and very lucky. Uh, to be able to reach out to people who, you know, have that experience that I don't have, which is always important when you're working with these identities that you don't share.
0: Yeah, and it definitely, you know, whatever notes I did, just improve the scene from whatever it was, because it, it works, you know?
1: Yeah, and I mean, and, you know, their, their notes were spot on, too. It's stuff that was a complete, you know, complete blindside for me that really strengthened the way the scene worked. So, yeah, I was, I was very happy with the way that came out. And you know, I was, I was a little worried uh, when it was coming out because I'm like, oh boy, I hope I hope people like this. Uh, <laughs> hope this doesn't uh, get a think think piece written about it about how uh, bad or like inaccurate or inauthentic it is. So uh, yeah, for the most part, I think people have liked it. I think people have responded well well to it, or it's resonated with them. So I'm I'm happy for that.
0: Yeah, I have say it's probably my favorite issue so far out of the run. Oh, thank you. So, um, do you think ever you ever going to give Mark a issue where he's happy
1: you know we are just gonna constantly beat up on him you know i mean you know you know what it's it's worked for spider-man and when was the last time there was no spider-man comics out? When was the last time a spider-man comic got canceled it's <laughs> true but <you> know, also <laughs>
0: that's actually a good point you ever want to bring spider-man into a moon knight book because in the past they've always you know had this sort of friendship where it's sort of like they always make witty comments you know it, yeah. it's definitely hard to bring a spider-man into a Moon Knight book, but heck, you've written Spider-Man very well before and the whole Beyond. Um... Yeah, I mean, I had uh, I had Moon Knight in
1: a Spider-Man book in uh, Death of Doctor Strange Spider-Man. Oh,
0: yeah, I remember that,
1: that one scene. That was, yeah, that, that one was scene. Quite funny. Um, yeah, it's it's not something I've really thought about because A, it was just kind of a pain in the ass um, just to, because I mean, spider mans is a, a, a huge and important character. So, you know, getting clearance to bring them in as a guest star isn't as easy as saying like, hey, I want to put Waxman in a okay. book. Um, so you know, Spider-Man's got a lot going on. Um, yeah, and, and also I don't think I could write a better Spider-Man and um, Moon Knight joke than the time. <laughs> like the, I think it was the early in the mensch run when Moon Knight and Spider-Man were hanging out. Moon Knight's like, hey, let's go to a fancy dinner. And Spider-Man's like, oh no, I don't think so. And then Moon Knight's like, Man, Frenchie, I think I embarrassed him. I think he's poor. He can't afford to go to a fancy dinner. I was <laughs> like, wow. Imagine Moon Naked and Disc getting rejected by Spider Man.
0: And then there's the I forget what book it was, but it was something came out in 2018. And Mark's like, I z- picked a bad time to zone out. Who's Gamora? Just And, and Spider Man's just like, just punch whoever I punch. Yeah, yeah. That was, um,
1: was it Infinity? Shoot, what was that called? I don't I don't remember the specific time. I always get all the infinity st- uh, stuff mixed up for their names. Um, but yeah, it was uh the the one that ended with fellow the stones becoming people. But yeah, that was that was a fun bit.
0: Yeah, Maya, you, I gotta admire you do a great job of keeping all the comic titles and stuff in your head. I can never do that.
1: <laughs> I mean it's be- very, very kind of you to say when I said, oh yeah, I don't remember the title. But uh <laughs> yeah, sure, I'll I'll take it.
0: So, I'm um, pivoting to Strange of that. So, I just got a few questions about that. Um, so, the other one around Claire Strange, widow of the freshly killed off Stephen Strange. As she mentioned, she was cruelly widowed twice within the span of a week. You just love hurting characters, don't you now?
1: <laughs> I mean, it's just, I don't kill them. <laughs> They're still alive. But um, well, actually, no way I, I say that t- talking about a book that spins out of the death of Dr. Strange. So, never mind. Yeah, and then you just be like, oh,
0: she comes back. Oh, Steven, I thought you were dead. And then she just dies again days later and just like, that, that's that got to hurt.
1: I and mean, It's called the Death of Dark Strange, baby.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I guess you just didn't expect Steve. at least I didn't expect Steven to die twice over. And I have to admit, I like how it actually ended with his death. Like, it's typical when you have a death, it's like, oh, they come back and you, you sort of twisted it by having him come back and then having him die again at the end and it ended up being permanent.
1: Yeah, it was, it was getting a little sassy, maybe, or a little snotty, because you know, we have the death of Doctor Strange. When people hear of a, seri- heard of a series called Death of Doctor Strange, they're like, oh boy, here we go. Um, and you know rightfully so, where well, there's been a lot of death of stuff, and comic fans are probably pretty wary of it by now. But I thought that something I thought was particularly fun about Death of Doctor Strange is that he dies in the first issue. It's not like a five issue buildup and they're like, oh no, he saved the world, but he's dead. Uh, it's like no, he's he's dead at the end of the first issue, and then the rest of the stuff is about cleaning up the mess. But you know, we have all our chapter titles and stuff. Our last chapter being called "The Death of Doctor Strange," and then he dies at the end of that chapter, at the end of the book. I'm like, it's oh, great. I have my cake and eat it too. We kill him at the beginning. We kill him at the end. Twice
0: in one series.
1: I mean, we we even killed the uh, the young Doctor Strange uh, when he blew up the Peregrine child. So we have three doc- three dead Doctor Stranges in one issue or one yeah. series. Just, which I think is a record
0: Yeah, it would have been is It, it would have been better if five like, Every issue features a death of Doctor Strange That would have just been <laughs> Truly yeah. filling the title
1: Yeah, I think at that point people might be like I'm not picking up issue four, forget this
0: But anyway, going on Unlike Steven, you know, we see Heck, she starts out issue one in her, like, her bathrobe Or whatever, she's a bit more relaxed but so, She's also way quicker to anger than Steven You know, mm-hmm. she's which I, for one, like Steven was I guess always calm and such and Claire's like, I don't take any bullshit. You want to come up with yeah. me Dr. Doom, you're going like to get Well,
1: that's the okay. thing and that, you know, Claire comes from the dark dimension and the dark dimension if if you step to somebody, you gotta be ready to deal with the consequences um, as we see, you know, it's, it's a bit of a point of contention between her and Wong in that same issue when uh, she annihilates the blasphemy cartel uh, gangsters uh, in a Extraordinarily messy way between, you know, dire, sc- dire, scourging, Ray or let's do hurricane. Um, but yeah, you know, Clea's taking a dark dimension mindset and uh, applying it to uh, the superheroic endeavors of the earth dimension and specifically Manhattan, which is, you know, a certain amount of fish out of water, which I think is fun. Uh, you know, and then of course the idea that she's not human. Uh, and then of course the fact that she is, uh, you know, she's never been a doctor. You know, being a healer is never something that's been part of her her whole power set. You know, she's she's she has the, she's of the blood of warlords. You know, her mother is Umar, her uncle is Dormammu, and that's by necessity going to give her a different outlook than than Stephen Strange. I'm guessing setting the tone that she is a bit more violent, she is a bit more ruthless. Was
0: she is of the dark dimension was quite important no. that issue one to know that she's not going to be Stephen Strange. She is no. whatever happened in the past, you know, I don't know, 50 so years of Doctor Strange being Stephen Strange or Sorcerer Supreme, throw all that away. This is a much more violent type run.
1: Well, and the thing is too, is a big part of that is to illustrate that Clea is is very capable. She's more than capable of taking on this role. She doesn't particularly want to, but you're not gonna see a thought balloon coming out where she says, oh, I can't fill Stephen's shoes no matter how hard I try, like that's not the case. She has, you know, she's very clear about what she wants and she's very direct in how she wants to get it. Uh, you know, she, she wants what's hers. She wants Stephen Strange. And she's not going to suffer anyone to take that from her. In this, And, you know, the same as she would in the Dark Dimension if someone else tried to take something that was hers. Yeah. The, and- the Dark Dimension is very much being treated like prison here at this point. <laughs> yeah, which in a way is, I'd say, a fair description of it. Yeah, I, I think it was called the Dungeon Dimension at one point. So that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, Dark Dimension sounds a bit better than the Dungeon Dimension, though. It's got a bit of ring to it. has wildly different connotations, certainly. Yeah.
0: So the Harvestman is a new villain that's going to be a thorn in Claire's side. No, he is Death's sort of. I guess you could say avatar in a way.
1: Yeah the Har- the Harvestman is basically Death Sorcerer Supreme. Um. He, uh, in the same way that, you know, Clea is the Sorcerer Supreme of Earth and, you know, and uh, the Harvestman is designed to basically be her, her opposite number. You know, magic, magic is life. Uh, magic is like the, the, the beating heart of the universe. Whereas the, the Harvestman represents the opposite of that. And that, you know, he's, he's cold and grim and uh, represents death's interests. You know, We'll see what those interests are as time goes on and what the Harvestman's motivations are. But currently the Harvestman is the guy saying, no, you can't resurrect your dead husband. And uh, that's not something Clea is really keen on hearing. Yeah.
0: and uh, So obviously he's going to have a future role with this. Is there anything you can tease about his future role and then he's going to be a constant thorn in Clea's side and Clea's motivations that she wants?
1: Uh, No, I mean, I don't want to get too much into it outside of what the issues are going to spin out, especially... Given that we're looking at some delays here so i want to make sure we're, keep, we're hopefully keeping up yeah. some keeping up some new mystery and anticipation as yeah. the series goes on but yeah we'll, we'll be seeing more of the Harvestman and uh the, the 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 thorny relationship that uh he and clea develop as time goes on
0: yeah i think Moonlight number 11 got delayed to what may 25th and then strange got delayed to june 1st yeah sucks yeah, it's the comic delays all over again. You thought we were done with them, and
1: nope. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Unfortunately. Oh, actually, you're probably right. It's twenty fifth. It's twenty seventh.
0: Yeah. Anyways, no, actually, um, no, you no, you are. Right. It is the twenty seventh because Legion of X comes out. And then I saw cy Spurry tweeting about that. So right.
1: So I. It's funny because it because yeah, him tweet, tweeting about that spur me to go. Oh yeah, I should actually go look see if my books are delayed. <laughs> Yeah, I was take, trying to take a look at the, because the,
0: originally it was listed out the Patrick Gleason cover, and then it became the Peach mm-hmm. Momoko cover, but I was trying to look be like, hey, what's the Patrick Gleason cover looking? Because that's the cover I pulled, and I was like, oh, it got delayed now
1: two weeks. That's
0: why there's no cover out.
1: Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Peach Momoko cover for, I think, strange number four, three, I think, oh, four? I thought it was three. Oh, three, yeah, actually, you're right, I think it was three. Uh, yeah, that's really good. Man, that's these Peach coverage covers just get better and better.
0: Oh yeah, it's like nowadays you'd be hard pressed to find a bad one. They're just so creative, and her style was just amazing. Yeah.
1: she did uh, one. I think it was for Moon Knight number two. I don't think it was for number one, but it was just really it was great stuff.
0: You wouldn't expect. I think there were flowers in it too. Like yeah, flowers flower. and Moon Knight to mix because Moon Knight sort of represents brutality, and you don't expect to be like flowers around him it's like yeah that's just a gorgeous cover though
1: yeah it works so well you know it's, it's just a, a tiny splash of blood a susan blood
0: here. yeah Moonlight covers though, have been absolutely amazing
1: yeah that's it's
0: it's just been great yeah. because you know covers they in a way they sell the book you know you see a cool cover and nowadays we have such a variant cover culture in a way yeah where people like variant covers oh i need this one and i want the one twenty-five ratio or the one out of 50 or oh i like this artist i'm gonna buy all their variant covers yeah
1: so um, yeah it's always funny to me because i like as a comic buyer particular covers never particularly made any difference to me i didn't really care about it yet for like books like you know you know fiction books covers actually make a big a big deal are a big deal to me and i don't really know why there's that disconnect Um, I think perhaps it's just because yeah I don't know I don't know it's just it's kind of funny to think it's like I'll buy any cover of an issue that I want to read because I don't really care I'm careful what's inside but if I'm buying a a book I'm like I need to make sure it's a cover that I like Um, possibly because I've seen a lot of book covers that are far worse than the worst comic book cover I've ever seen uh, these comic book covers usually look quite cool, regardless of what they are. Whereas I've, I, I own a lot of books with extremely dog shaped covers.
0: Yeah, I think I've become one of those very cover people because I got back into comics. I think it was like last May. The X Men comics got me back into it, and since then I have bought three hundred mm-hmm. comics at all. <laughs> That'll <laughs> Here, do. It. That'll do it. Yeah, that will do. It. And also, I doesn't help how people make amazing runs, like your Moon Knight run, and then I buy you know eight. Different covers of issue number one, and spend fifty dollars getting the one out (laughs) of twenty-five Elizabeth
1: Torque variant. So, I mean, you know, you gotta, you gotta be into something. Yeah, you know,
0: it's it's good that you know, I, it's great that I found my love of comics again, and how it sort of, yeah, for sure, brought me back to them. But um, last question about the Blasphemy Cartel. That's a or sorry, second last question. Um. That's a really interesting foe because they are these humans, as you pointed out, but yet they Mm -hmm. have all this magical technology that they really shouldn't have or really shouldn't even exist at, you know, the point where they can get into these places that only magical people are allowed and they have all these magical weapons seemingly with spells interred in them that cause havoc and chaos. So what was it like sort of creating that type of Foe that's I, I imagine much like the Harvest Man are going to keep coming back against Claire as a mm-hmm. constant thorn in her side.
1: Yeah, well, the Blasphemy Cartel were. I mean, originally, before I did Death of Doctor Strange, um, like the the, the way I got Death of Doctor Strange was I didn't, I you know, I needed another job because I finished Taskmaster and I was writing the the Black Cat, uh, King of Black, uh, tie-in. Or sorry, King, King of, yeah, King of Black Tie and mini whatever that started off the the that the then present volume of Black Cat. Anyways, Doctor Strange was in it. I realized there were no Doctor Strange books coming out. There was no Doctor Strange books announced or solicited. So I thought, well, you know, hell, I'd like to write Doctor Strange. So I came up with some ideas, and um, so I you know so I'd be ready. I emailed Darren Shan, the uh, the Doctor Strange editor, said, so like, hey, can I write Doctor Strange? And He said, sure. I'm like, great. Like, here's my ideas. And he's like, well, actually, we're going to kill him. That's that's what we want to do at Doctor Strange. So you can do that. And I was like, oh, shit, okay. So my original conceit for a Doctor Strange series was something that was, you know, kind of looking at a more street-level, magical Doctor Strange. And the antagonists were the Blasphemy Cartel. I think I called them, like, the Black Circle or something at that point in time. But I really like this idea of these, you know, these mysterious, magical gangsters where... You have this hidden fairy world beneath the, the surface of New York. You know these these creatures living in these kind of liminal spaces, but that doesn't mean that you don't have the same gangster bullshit going on. The same you know these same gangs vying for control of you know competitive control areas. And I was really interested to think of like what that would look like with a magical slant because you know this isn't like. A bunch of orcs or something or goblins rolling up with magical swords. This is a bunch of humans in tactical gear with machine guns, but also with magical equipment and you know specialized training to deal with magical threats that should be beyond their uh, beyond their ken. So, you know, where did they come from? Where did this, where did this training, this expertise, and this this equipment come from? And that's something we're going to explore as we uh as we've gone through the series. Yeah. I'm glad
0: you mentioned black cat because i'm so glad you get a right black cat again it's sort of like you go through this run and i'd say i waited a few months which i regret doing for the black cat and mary jane beyond one shot and oh my <laughs> gosh that issue was hilarious yeah
1: that was black, a lot of fun
0: black cat says mary jane has a dump truck ass and then the threesome shoot like dreams like oh it's this dream again it's like yeah wow You just they editor's just like
1: nope you can just do whatever you want here just Make it hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like it was it was a nice break because right, you know, right, Moon Knight was getting quite heavy uh, when I was writing it, and you know, Black Cat was finished. Where Black Cat was generally a pretty light book, you know, it was a lot of gags, a lot of fun, uh, which was kind of the point of it. So being able to get back into that and tell this kind of like high spirited, high jinks adventure team up with you know Black Cat, and Mary, or, you know Felicia and Mary Jane, I was a lot of fun. And it's a lot of fun to kind of like look at what the relationship between those two characters would be given you know, the history they have and the, you know, the, the, the shared acquaintances, so we'll say,
0: that they might have. Yeah, and looking off this list for Iron Cat, I'm quite fascinated by that premise and interested to see you know where that book's going to lead.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun because Iron Cat was actually going to be the next arc of Black Cat uh, before it got canceled. So it was nice to have a, have a second chance to, to, to go at that. So it's in a different form than it would have been uh, had it been a you know, straight Black Cat arc, you know, Black Cat issue, whatever. At that point, but at the core, it's the same idea. So I'm very excited to have the chance to, uh, to tell that story.
0: Yeah, you, because you've should have been the de facto Black Cat writer since like 2019. Yeah, got... I mean, not not a whole lot
1: of competition there. <laughs> 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 you know, we're not talking about Iron Man here, like you yeah. know, Wolverine. But you know,
0: you do a great job writing because it's like con- the I think the main goal with the Black Cat. Um, seriously that's gotta be funny because black cat's just hilarious
1: and I mean that's the a idea very
0: good job of making it just every issue it's like got some sort of gag or something that makes you laugh
1: yeah I mean we wanted to do something that was that was fun you know it's it's not all doom and gloom and you know I, I say that while writing Moon Knight, which is all doom and gloom but uh, you know Felicia's is a character that you can have a lot of fun with and you know go to exotic locales and run outrageous jobs um <clears throat> So, you know, if that that opportunity is there, then yeah, we definitely take it. Yeah, hopefully, eventually, maybe this will lead to another
0: Black Cat ongoing that might last a bit um, longer.
1: Hopefully, fingers crossed. We went 25 issues all told with Black Cat, which is better than uh, anyone can expect a Black Cat book to go. So,
0: yeah, that's true. All right. So, the last question is a question I ask most of my guests is for people responding to break into comics, whether it be writing, um, being an artist, inking, letterer—you know anything in the comic industry. Mm-hmm. What piece of advice would you give to them?
1: Um, that's that's always a tough one because there's kind of different pieces of advice that I would give. When it comes to sort of a, a general kind of thing, you know very general advice, is I think it's important you know always always have a backup. Um, you know, I never thought I was going to be able to make it. Uh, you know, full time being a full time writer professionally, I didn't think that was a thing that was actually going to happen in my life. You know, I went out got, I went out got an education. I became a teacher. And then eventually, because, you know, I did my first comic work, my first paid comic work was in 2010. Uh, and from 2010 to 2018, I did 16 pages in total. So you're not exactly keeping the lights on with that kind of money. So I'm not saying you'll know, give up your dreams but be prepared to pay your rent uh, without comics. Uh, As far as how to get better at making comics or you find yourself in a a situation where you're more prepared if that break does come, um, something that was super important to me was um, I was part of a writing club for a couple of years before um, I had that break of that opportunity. And what that did for me is you know, myself and three other friends, we would meet every month, we'd read what we'd written that month. And it became a point of pride for me to have a complete story every time we met. So come hell or high water, I would have a complete and full story. wouldn't be perfect, but it would be done. And from that's where I learned how to hit a deadline. And that's where I learned to take the creative process and apply a work ethic to it because And I mean, I've been, I was guilty of this for years. It's so many people say I've got these great ideas but they have nothing to show. They've got no portfolio. They've got, I'm not talking about comics, I'm talking about just saying writing. Um, In the, you know, probably the first year of Writing Club, I wrote about 80,000 words. And I had a website full of complete short stories. Not that anybody read them, but I had something to show for my efforts rather than saying, I've got ideas. Like, ideas worth nothing because it's not realized. Whereas if you can show someone something that you created, be it a story, be it a comic book, you know, a, a five-page comic, you either you know, draw yourself or you work with somebody else who is on the come up. You know, a 10-page comic. I'm not saying you know, you need to have this, like, long 200-issue outline for anything because let's be honest, what comic is 200 issues? But if you if you have 10 pages you can show someone you know 10 pages of completed comic book then there you go that's a thing you have that's showing anybody who's interested that you can do the thing this is how I make a comic this is what I can bring to the table
0: so amazing how you went from 2018 and then 2021 where I'd say in a way it was sort of the year of Jen McCain in terms of comics because you did the big timeless one shot Moon Knight, Death of Doctor Strange The Black Cat you did a, a bunch of big ticket events that year yeah for comics
1: and i mean I, you know I got, I got and i'll be i'll be totally honest i got very lucky to get where i am right now it's not because i'm an incredible writer and i work super hard i do think i'm a pretty good writer and yes i did work pretty hard but a lot of it comes down to being in the right place at the right time and there's nothing you can do about that you know there's nothing you can do about luck but you can be prepared to make the most of the opportunity if that opportunity comes. Because if, you know, if this comics thing came about and I hadn't been practicing putting stories together quickly and completing them, if I hadn't been practicing hitting deadlines, I could have just flashed in the pan and disappeared, right? Because there's no room for a new writer who can't hit a deadline. Because you're screwing everything up for everybody else down the line. Which means the artist is late. Which means the color is late. Which means the letter is late. Which means you may miss your printing date, and that's that's not going to endear you to anyone. If you're the guy who gets known as the guy who can't hit a deadline, and you don't have uh, you know reliable sales to offset that, perhaps then you're not going to get any jobs. Yeah, you so you know, there's 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 nothing you can do about luck, but you can make yourself ready for if that lucky break does come. To make the most of it and take advantage of it.
0: You don't want to be the guy making the artist being like having to stay up super late in the deep of the night because he's got to finish the pages and yeah, they that's, have that's to finish the, the pages and all that.
1: Yeah, it's not going to, I mean, A, it's, it's, it's really unprofessional, but also, you know, you just, you're going to get a reputation of someone that's difficult to work with. And no one's going to want to work with you. And if no one wants to work with you, then they won't and you will not work. And then you're sort of screwed out of a job. <laughs> Yeah, and then you know it's back to uh, back to whatever you're doing before. All
0: right, well, Jed McKay, everyone, thank you so much for doing this, and yeah, wish you the best of luck, and hope to have you back on here eventually. Oh, well, thank you. Well, it's been
1: uh, great to chat. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Thank you, thank you
0: for listening to episode two of Geos Reviews the Interview Podcast. I really hope you enjoyed this podcast episode and I hope to bring you many more interviews within the near future. As always, if you have any feedback to give me, please do not hesitate to do so. Thank you.